Good evening, and thank you, Amy, for reading. We're in chapter two of this wonderful little book in the Old Testament um, called Ruth. Um, I know it's been given the title Gleaning, but it appealed to me in this idea of grace. And hopefully, as we go through tonight, um, for the next 20 minutes or so, this theme of grace will, will emerge from, from our discussions. You'll remember from last week that Johnny introduced the book and where it sat. And when you look in your Bible, you will see that it sits between the book of Judges and the book of Samuel. And Judges spanned about 450 years from the conquest of Joshua right through to the beginning of Samuel, bringing through Saul as a king and to David. Judges was a difficult time um, in the history of, of Israel. It was characterized by rebelling and living by, supposedly by the law um, or otherwise by their own ways and their own law. Ruth sort of jumps out of the page, it sort of parachuted into the middle of this story. It happened somewhere in the middle of, of Judges. Um, although it happened, you, you read it chronologically after Judges, it, could, it appears probably in the middle of the period. And it focuses down in one family and their experiences. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the rebellion, in the middle of the awfulness that's happening over this period, we get this lovely story of redemption. This little family story. And what, what's its purpose there for? And hopefully, and we'll see that it is about living by grace. And God is not really visible in the story. God is sort of hidden. And particularly in chapter two, we, God's hand is, is moving with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, but it is not obvious. Then we have Samuel, and we have reigning. We introduce this topic of reigning. We get Saul coming in as their first king, and then um, David. And it is living in peace. Um, you get to Second Samuel chapter, chapter 7, you will read about David, and he, he lived in a period of peace, and his enemies and him were at peace. Is this an, it's a great character, sort of time, like a little um, illustration of where we're at. We are living at this period in time of grace, where God is wooing us, is bringing him to, to himself, and we look forward to a time when he will reign and we will live in peace. Let us just look back a little bit to um, the story that in chapter one that jo uh, Johnny brought to us last week. It's about a family of Elimelech, uh, Naomi, and their two boys, Malin and Chilean. Now, they were probably a little older when they left Bethlehem and went to Moab than the picture sort of suggests. They lived in Moab for um, about 10 years. The reason they, we heard last week that they left Bethlehem was that it was, it was because of a famine. And they left their land behind. Uh, and they left probably a farm and property. And they may have sold it. We're not just too sure what happened to it. But Naomi's plight was that her husband died and her two children died. And their their wives, um, Orpha and Ruth, uh, they decided to come back to Bethlehem um, because they'd heard the Lord visit them and there was grain, there was food again in, in that country. The, th the important bit to notice is 
for Elimelech. God doesn't judge him. So hence we get this idea of grace. And yet it was a significant thing for, for Elimelech to leave Bethlehem and leave his property behind. Because when they came into the land, God had told them specifically he had given them a land. He had, he had allowed them to use it. It was their inheritance. And they were to look after it. Uh, and they were to pass it on to their family, generation after generation, because God had given it to them for that period and for their blessing and for um, their use. In fact, it's a, when Abraham left and set out on his journey of faith, he went to a land that was to be his inheritance. And he, they, that family and that tribe eventually came into Israel, and it was set as a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, and it is representative of something that lies in front um, because it said of Abraham that he, he wanted more than just what he could see and he hoped for an eternal city. Us as Christians tonight, let us just be reminded that we have an inheritance. And when we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefined that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You are kept by the power of God through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. So an inheritance is important. And God had given Elimelech this inheritance and he had left it essentially um, behind and Naomi had come back with her two, two daughter-in-laws um, to the land. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2 as they return to this inheritance. What can we get from chapter 2? I've sort of put the, the four points around in chapter 2. God's providence and grace. Boaz's standing and character. Ruth's humility and diligence and Naomi's counsel and joy. And we'll see how far we get through these points tonight as we explore this story and see what it means for us tonight, how we can apply it um, to our own lives. God's providence and grace. Um, and that's what chapter two is about. You will read that when Ruth goes, uh, goes out to find grain, that she happened, to say the Bible says, she happened to land on a field that belonged to Boaz. And Boaz was a relative, and Boaz, uh, Boaz was going to, um, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, going to be her future husband. And Naomi says to, to Ruth later in chapter 2 um, how fortunate it was that she had found this field. And yet God was behind the story all along. And that brings us to this interesting um, two things that we talk about in our lives, God's purposes and human decisions. And when you look at this story, you will see that, I suppose, Ruth is in the centerpiece. Um, if this is a simple Venn diagram, Ruth finds herself in that center part where she's both having human decisions and deciding things for herself, which are in keeping with God's plans for our lives. That interplay between God's purposes and plans and her decisions. And as a Christian, that's where we would hope to be. 
And when we make decisions, that we make them in God's will. And we don't be rebellious. And if you think about the situation that this story, um, uh, uh, and the context of this story is in Judges. And when in twice in, Judges, uh, in the book of Judges, the writer of Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And right at the last verse of this book says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They had little regard for God's purposes. And that they felt that they would be um, self-sustaining, that they would make their own decisions. And yet it was the bleakest, most difficult part of, the, of that, this time in Israel's history. And Judges refers to those who would come along, there were deliverers, there were those who would bring some order back, and they're not the judges as we would understand it today, but there were those who would bring the nation back um, into some order and some understanding of God's plans and with God's laws and, and save them for complete disaster. But as those judges came and went, the story just is a cycle of disobeying coming back to the Lord again, back to sin again, back to apostasy, and a cycle over and over again. When you read that book, it's particularly the last few chapters, it's horrifying to read. And yet, it, to some extent, it represents us today. It represents the moral state of our generation today. This culture in which we live really feels that there is no moral framework that we should obey. There are no moral standards um, that are set. We're often told, find your own way, follow your own heart, follow your own truth, and if that is right for you, then it is right. Um, there, is no, there is no moral framework. And when we come to this story, we're reminded, and God in his kindest way, and through this story, reveals that there is a purpose. There is a purpose to what he does, and, and he is wanting the very best for us. He wanted, even though Elimelech had left with Naomi and probably had disappointed God in some way, he'd left his own inheritance, a land, a partial land for his clan that God had given to him as they'd left Egypt and come in and Joshua, had, the nation had fought for this land and now he just walks away from it. For 10 years he didn't go back and yet God is quiet about it. God doesn't, in this first chapter, doesn't highlight this decision in any way. God's grace, and as Naomi and Ruth come back, God welcomes them back to Bethlehem, and then we will see how they're, they're reinstated in the family, how their property is reinstated. When you look at God's purposes, and when you look through the Old Testament, repeatedly you will find this word of God's purposes. And if we take Exodus chapter 9, this is about one of the plagues, the plague of the hail when the children of Israel were in Egypt and were in bondage and Moses was pleading with Pharaoh to let them go. And he, he tells them one day, he says to Moses, get up early, head down to Pharaoh and say, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me or this time I will send a full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there's no one like me on the earth. For by now I would stretch out my hand and struck you from, uh, from the earth, but I've raised you up for this very purpose that I might show my power and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
seven plagues in, and Moses, at his 80th year, must have been feeling rather defeated. Why is this mighty man of Egypt, with these million or in excess of a million slaves, camped down in, a, in the deprived part of Egypt? This is a lost cause. Egypt was, or Pharaoh was there, he commanded everything, and he could mock and jeer as this lowly shepherd came in and his brother came in and stood before the mighty Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh must have said, you must be joking, Moses. You're not letting my people go. They're too valuable to me. Who are you to say? Who are you to command the, um, the world power of that time? And then one day God says to Moses, you go down and tell him. You go down and tell him, I've raised you up. You may think you're in control. Pharaoh, but you're actually in my purposes. And we know this, how this story goes on. And uh, one night, um, the whole nation of Israel march out and they become um, a nation again and they leave Egypt behind. We also can read other little um, portions. Job, Job and all of his suffering could actually say, I know that you can do all things. There's no purposes of yours that can be thought it. Job understand that God was in control. Even though his family, his livelihood had been destroyed, he acknowledged that God was always in control. When we come to Paul in the New Testament, he reminds the believers of Philippi, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but so much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In our lives as Christians, we have God working in us. But in this verse, it also says, for us to work out our salvation, our Christian life, to work it out in fear and trembling, to acknowledge that God is working with us. What a responsibility. And Paul is not been flippant. He says, work it out with fear and trembling. Think about it. Dwell on the fact that God is the God of creation. God is a God is holding the whole universe in his power. And he says, and he does in his will. But it's for his good purpose. Often we can come rebellious. Often we can come disappointed. And Naomi is disappointed. And Naomi says to that God the Almighty has dealt harshly with me. And she felt disappointed in how her life had worked out but yet we are reminded that God is in control. Romans 8 says, For we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, and all things are called according to his purpose. God's purpose is in all things. There are times in our lives when we feel that God is distant. We feel that God is not dealing with our circumstances. And David Bingham reminded this morning we can find disappointment in the job interview. We can find disappointment in the, in the relationship that hasn't worked out. And Joseph was that person. Joseph's own brothers had pretended that he was murdered and sent him down to Egypt and he ended up in a prison. And yet when he met his brothers at a later date, he could say to them, don't fret, don't worry. You meant it for evil. You meant it for bad. But God meant it for good with his purposes. He has saved us as Christians and called us to a holy life, a separate life, a life set apart for him, um, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace in our lives. Let us just come, come back to, to Boaz again 
and pick it up um, as a family redeemer. Now, this is an interesting um, custom um, in, uh, in, in, in the story. Um, this is probably not, doesn't really happen today. And it picks up from God's law was given, given to the, the nation in Leviticus chapter 5. And he, he tells him that he says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. And your strangers and sojourners in this land and all the country you possess, it shall be allowed to be redeemed. And it reminds us that if someone in the family falls in hard times and they can't make ends meet and the land starts to fall, their, their property, their business starts to fail, and, uh, and they have to sell it. Uh, and that often can, could be through mismanagement, can be whatever. Um, their brother should buy it. Rather than it being given to a stranger, rather than someone to capitalize on their misfortune, um, that a brother should redeem it, buy the land, and hence make sure that that family survives. And if when time comes around, then the land can be returned to them. In fact, that they had something called a jubilee year, every 50 years, no matter what happened, no matter where the land had moved around in the family and who owned it because they'd bought it or leased it in some kind of a way, it actually, God says, it comes back to the owner again. And God resets the, the clock, as it were, to make sure there's fairness and to make sure that they understand and not capitalize of something that God had given them. It wasn't their land to profit from. It was their land to live on. It was their land to witness to the nations around them how their order and fairness um, should be done. Boaz um, was a, a mighty man, uh, and it says this in the beginning of chapter, verse one and chapter two, and the writer just sort of in that first little verse um, sets out the pictures that were um, who Boaz was. And he was a near relative. And when you read through the chapter, Naomi reminds Ruth, by the way, Boaz, I know he is a, a wealthy man. He owns a lot of land, and he is probably one of the rulers in Bethlehem. He could have been part of the Sanhedrin. Um, so he was a very influential person. But when Naomi hears that that was the piece of ground that Ruth eventually ends up gathering um, the barley from, um, she was excited because she, he was a near relative. He might have been... Um, um, a nephew of Elimelech. That's how it might have been. Um, because it, this person could redeem them. This person could buy back the land that they have. Um, we're not sure what had happened to their own property. Um, they may have sold it. They may have just left it. And if you can think when they left 10 years ago, they left in a famine. It probably was worthless. No one could, and everybody was struggling to make ends meet. And they may have come back to something that fell into ruins and, and disrepair, uh, and it wasn't harvestable, there no barley print, no barley sown, and so on. And, and, and so they were poverty stricken. Um, but Boaz could restore them, could restore them back and, and support them. And so she's excited because of this little law that they had from Leviticus chapter 5 that he would be a redeemer. He would bring them back to where they belong. And hence this little portion represents something that is massive in God's plan. 
In God's redemption plan, we see a little motif, a little picture of what God is doing for you and I. We ourselves are ruinous. We have neglected what God has given us. We have gone and done our own thing. But yet God wants us back to ourselves again. It's just our first parents, Adam and Eve, set the whole rot in, in, in train. And they had a relationship with God, but they decided to do what was right in their own eyes. And the, and the devil seduced them and tempted them and said, you know, God is holding something back. If you, if you disobey him, you will become like God's like him. You can become self-determining. You can make your own decisions because God is withholding something for him. Because if you're working in his purposes, there's something better out of there. And of course, they neglected. And, and the story is that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. But the interesting thing and the lovely thing is that God wants to redeem us, wants to bring him back to himself. So this little story it gives us a little illustration of what God wants to do. And we see that through this mighty man called Boaz as he redeems this family of Ruth and Naomi. And of course, when we read in the Bible, we, this theme of redemption, this theme of, of redeeming is, is very, very important. Um, in Isaiah 44, it's, it's around the time when Israel goes into captivity in Babylon, and he reminds them that he, would re, he is somebody who redeems him. In fact, they would be worshiping idols in chapter 44 of Isaiah, and Isaiah actually says to him, by the way, why do you worship something like a wooden idol? Somebody can't do anything. Why are you turning your back on, on me who is a redeeming God who redeems you, who's brought you out of Egypt and has that wonderful capability of redeeming? And many of us in our, in our Christian walk can sometimes get caught up with the thing that is paltry, the thing that is meaningless. We can put our our career before God, we can put our, our families, our relationships, our, our hobbies, whatever, and we can ignore the real God, the God who redeems us, the God who holds everything in, the, in his hands. And of course, in First Peter, we read again that we're redeemed not by empty things, but redeemed with the precious blood as a lamb. So what is redeemer? A redeemer is a family person, and when we come to Hebrews, we're, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we have a redeemer. We have somebody who is part of our family. And it says that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, became our redeemer. For this reason, he was made like them, fully human in every way. He took on flesh. He took on flesh and blood. He became human. He became God and man simultaneously that he might redeem us. This principle of someone who's off our family and he comes without sin to redeem us. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God who in whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect. Both the one who makes his people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus, the God of heaven, came close by and redeemed us from our ruinous state. Let's just take, go on to look at Boaz and his, his character. Um, Boaz had an impeccable character. And 
when you read the story, you see such a gentleman that he is. First of all, we can see his relationship with his workers. And he greeted them in the name of the Lord, in the name of God. And they returned that greeting in the name of the Lord. They acknowledged in their work um, who God was. There are not many employers today would, would arrive uh, in the field uh, and see their, their lowly, pled, uh, lowly paid reapers uh, and greet them in this way. And not only does he greet them in this, in this way, he acknowledges that God is God and God is providing for them and that they had that same relationship coming back to them. But he also greets Ruth the Moabite as a daughter. And it must have been something eye-catching for, for Boaz as he reached the field and surveyed his land and surveyed how this barley harvest was going. It's six or seven weeks from the Passover down to the, um, the, the Feast of Pentecost. And when they gathered in the, in the harvest, it was really, really important. And God had blessed Bethlehem. Bethlehem was known as a, as a house of bread. It provided um, bread for, for the nation. It was really important. And he spots someone gleaning. Now, this was a, a custom that was just for the poor and for the needy, for those who were um, in desperate financial state. And he spots Ruth gleaning. Not only does he spot her gleaning, but she also, he also recognized her as Ruth the Moabite. And the nation of Israel and the nation of Moab um, didn't have a cordial relationship. And when you read through Judges and read through Samuel, we'll find that they were war often together and they often fought together. Uh, and this relationship was a relationship that went badly wrong back from Abraham and Lot. You remember Lot was Abraham's nephew. And when Abraham rescued him from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, he had an incestuous relationship with his daughters. And Moab, um, his son, became this nation of Moab. Today, it's is, a nation, is known as, in modern day, as Jordan. And, um, and when they, the nation of Israel came out of, of Egypt, um, the king of Moab at that time tried to get Balaam to go and curse him. So this was a, a not a great relationship that they had. So she, she, Ruth was indeed a foreigner. Someone to be noticed, someone to be, oh, right, there's a, a Moabitess gathering grain. Um, and yet he says to her, daughter, that's a gentleman, he goes over and he spends time and asks about her. And says, now you stick close, you definitely do glean with, 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 the, the, with my female um, gatherers uh, and stay safe with them. And he even goes over and he says to the, 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 the guys who were cutting the, the, the barley, he says, you know, don't, don't gather all up in, into sheaves and don't gift it. Make sure there's bits of it fall about because Ruth was really only entitled to go around the bits that were hard to reach, go around the hard bits around the, the ditches and in the corners. Uh, and it was really the bits that they, they didn't want. She was, the law had allowed her space for that. But Boaz was such a kind an abundant gentleman, and he says, now, just leave some for her. And when, there's, when you're thirsty, come over and take of the water. And you can, that was drawn. Now, I was a, maybe for some of the Israelites, this Moabitess woman coming in, and they were bitter enemies, and you know, maybe, maybe Boaz was a bit a little too welcoming. 
Um, but Boaz says, no, come. And then when we come to have your, our food, you know, actually come and eat with us and you know, dip your bread in the oil and vinegar and enjoy the food with us. And he was, he was so kind. And he says, make sure you get enough. And she got so much, she was able to take some home with her to, to her mother-in-law. Um, and not only did, he, did she get enough grain from gathering around the edges and gathering what was dropped, um, she got more than the, the reapers got. The reaper, we talk about the, the amount that she got. And she gathered this large sack of, 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 uh, of grain and took it home. And it was more than one day's pay. So Boaz was very, very kind um, to, um, to Ruth. And that reminds us of the God that we have. The God that Boaz is, is representing and, he, and we can read in Ephesians that now to him who is able to do immensely more than we ask or imagine according to his power that worketh within us. He is whatever we think would be great in our lives, whatever we think it would be great for the future. Paul reminds us it goes beyond that. It goes beyond our imagination what God is doing for us and doing with us and doing in the future. And sometimes we feel a little bit despondent. And yet when this story helps us to understand this time of grace in the middle of, I hadn't realized it was five to eight. I was told to finish at five to eight. So uh, I'm going to draw it to close uh, by reminding us that who we are in, 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 in Christ. If we had had a time, I was going to look at Ruth and her humility and diligence and how she uh, was a virtuous woman, such as in chapter 31 of Proverbs. And we were going to spend a wee bit of time on Naomi. Obviously, I was a little overambitious in my planning and putting this all together. And, and Tony can pick up all of this next week and squeeze it in into an hour. If you have time, come back and read through it again and see how that God has been very gracious um, to Ruth, very gracious to Naomi, and reinstates um, their, their home, reinstates their livelihood, and it's through the kindness and the generosity and the love of Boaz, who represents our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done much for us and will do in our lives. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this story, this story of hope in the middle of a time which was evil and corrupt, and people did what was right in their own eyes, a time when they disobeyed your, your laws and your ways. But Father, we thank you for the illustration of Boaz, a mighty redeemer, and it represents the Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed us and given us a hope, given us a future, given us an inheritance that's incorruptible, and Father, we pray that we will return our thanks tonight that we have been redeemed. Our Father, we pray that if someone here is not a Christian, but is attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will see something of his character through this man, Boaz, tonight. Father, we pray these things in his name, for his glory. Amen.